Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our text will be taken from the reading we heard in St. Matthew's Gospel this morning. Let's begin with a prayer. Most merciful God, we give you thanks that you have called us to bear a cross, Lord, to follow you through this life and to suffer for the sake of your Son. Lord, we thank you also that beyond this suffering there is eternal life that awaits. For Christ has died and risen and will come again to take us to be with you. So, Lord, grant us grace now to trust your word and make us strong, O Lord, to face the days ahead. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. You really have to feel for Peter sometimes, don't you? I mean, he, he has that problem of sort of having his foot in his mouth all the time, but there's just some times where I really kind of feel bad for this guy. I mean, at this point in our reading today, at this point in the, in the account of Jesus' ministry, Peter was actually doing pretty good. He was feeling pretty high on himself. After all, he had just passed the big Jesus test with flying colors. Jesus has asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus was thrilled and he looks at Peter and he says, yes, and you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Oh, now Peter, he's feeling pretty good here. First, he's got the answer right. And he's also feeling pretty good because he realizes he's voted for the right candidate. This guy can't lose. Jesus is the Christ, and the gates of hell are not going to prevail against him. And Peter's thinking to himself, all we do in this church with Jesus, all we do is we win, win, win. This is great. This is wonderful. And then Jesus introduces the cross. He says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed on the third day, be raised. Now, wait. Hold on a second. Didn't, didn't Jesus just say that the gates of hell were not going to prevail against him? Didn't he just say he was building essentially an indestructible church? But this sounds very different. This sounds like defeat. Somebody needs to clarify things for Jesus. Somebody needs to come along and set Jesus straight to show him what it means to actually be victorious, what it means to actually be the Messiah. So Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Being shamed by your opponents, dying a pathetic death, that is not how hell-conquering churches are established, Jesus. This is not how kingdoms come, and this is not how they are established or won in this world. So Peter, it's a little embarrassing for Jesus, I'm sure, but Peter's got to bring him aside and put him in his place and tell him what it means for him to be the Messiah. And Jesus turns on Peter and says, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your, thing, your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus turns to the disciples and says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Way to go, Peter. One second ago, Jesus is praising you, and now everybody's getting crosses. Nice work. What gives? 
Boy, poor old Peter. You really got to feel for that guy sometimes. But to give, give Peter a little bit of the benefit of the doubt here, I don't think we can really fully grasp what is going on in his mind or the minds of the disciples when they're talking about the cross. I mean, we are in a very strange position in history where we're, you know, roughly 2,000 years after this conversation. We know what the cross is all about, and we love the old rugged cross, right? Where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. We love that cross. We can't think of the cross as a negative thing. In fact, in our church, we even have a very nice, you know, a little gold cross here with a pewter crucified Jesus on it. I mean, we just love the cross because it's a beautiful decoration. We like to wear it as a necklace or his earrings. But you have to understand, the cross was no lovely decoration in Jesus' day. It was where, you know, you tortured and hung criminals to shame them for losing in their rebellions against the state. To kind of get an idea of what the disciples are hearing when Jesus starts talking about the cross, uh, I want to give you an example of an experience I had just a few days ago, a few weeks ago, I should say, watching an interview uh, with the very popular singer Billie Eilish. If you don't know who Billie Eilish is, that's okay. Your kids or your grandkids probably know who Billie Eilish is. But I'm watching this interview with her, and I notice she's wearing this strange necklace. Like, what is that necklace? It's a gold chain, like a gold chain we would have with a little cross on it. But instead of a cross there, there is a person hanging from a noose. And I thought to myself, that is so offensive and disgusting how dare she wear that and I thought to myself what an offensive thing to wear around your neck and I realized that my response to that necklace is the exact response the disciples have when Jesus starts talking about a cross I cannot imagine what it would have looked like to live in the first century and have been wearing a cross around your neck because that is the place for losers and criminals it was invented to torture and shame and Jesus has just announced that that is where he is headed, and if his disciples want to be his followers, they should expect the same thing to come to them. So, so what happened? What happened between that comment about the gates of hell not prevailing against the church, and now everybody's getting a cross? The cognitive dissonance is, is, is mind-boggling. Poor old Peter, he speaks up. But I think his intentions were probably right. I mean, Jesus is being rebuked by Peter because Peter wants Jesus to know we're not going to have that defeatist attitude. We don't go in to lose. We go in to win. Let's be a little more positive here, Jesus. Let's be a little more encouraging. So his, his, his comments are intent, well-intentioned and loving. The problem is they're just completely evil and satanic. That's all. <laughs> Jesus calls him Satan because Peter's thoughts, as good as his intentions may have been, were to keep Jesus from the cross. And the cross is God's will. The cross is God's will for Jesus. And frankly, it's God's will for you. Now, to clarify things here, the cross that you are called to take up and, and carry, it's not the same cross that Jesus was called to take up and carry. When Jesus went to the cross, he bore on his back the sins of the world. And when Jesus went to his cross there, he suffered the wrath of God in your place. And all of God's anger and fury towards sin and sinners was poured out on Jesus Christ, and he absorbed all of it so that on his cross, your sins were forgiven and your sins were completely paid for the cross you bear is not a cross in which you have to suffer the wrath of God because Jesus has done that completely for you and he has done it entirely for you God has no wrath left for you however in this world when you follow Christ 
you will suffer. You will suffer for his name's sake. And that's what it means to carry a cross, to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. It doesn't just mean going through difficult times in your life, and it doesn't just mean having a hard day at work, and you know that uh, that obnoxious coworker is a cross you have to bear. That's not what we're talking about here. When Jesus says you need to be ready to take up your cross, he means you need to be ready to die for the sake of his name. You should expect suffering and persecution as a Christian. Now, for the last 2,000 years of the church, this has actually been the story of the church, people suffering and dying, sometimes violently, for the sake of Jesus Christ. Peter himself learned this the hard way after Christ had ascended into heaven and Peter went forth preaching the good news. He suffered constantly for preaching Christ's name. And if we can trust their tradition, we understand he was crucified. He chose to be crucified upside down, however, because he did not see himself worthy to die in the same way as his Lord, living a life in which you follow Jesus, proclaiming his truth in a way that exposes the lies of the world, that shines light in dark places, that brings forth forgiveness which conquers Satan. Well, it's going to lead to an attack from the devil and the world in your own flesh. You will suffer for the sake of Jesus Christ, except in America, of course, because here, you know, you have the right not to suffer. You can have your faith and your comfort too. Jesus says, take up your cross, and we're all like, yeah, but what if we don't have to? What if we can just vote for our freedoms and not have to worry about hardship? We'll take that option, Jesus. You're suffering stuff. That's, you know, good good on those who do it, but we'll, we'll take our comforts and be happy. Thank you very much. Now, Don't misunderstand that comment there. I'm not telling you to do something foolish like uh, vote for persecution or elect a candidate who is going to stand against and oppose the church. But I am saying this, that if you think that by having the right candidate in office and the right policies in place that you no longer will have to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ, you are grossly mistaken. And you are listening more uh, to your rights and your principles than you are to the preaching of Jesus. For Christ has called you not to exercise your your rights, but to lay everything you have aside and suffer the cross for the sake of his name and for the benefit of your neighbor. You are then called to be ready to be shamed, mocked, scourged, and rejected, all for the sake of Jesus Christ. The question then becomes, who's signing up for such a life? Who's signing up? For such a death, well, first remember, you did not choose him, but he chose you. So thank you, Jesus, for bringing us into this kingdom. But also remember this, that's who you're dying and living for. Jesus Christ, God of heaven and earth who lived and died for you, who has ushered in his kingdom and has called you into that kingdom to live in the presence of his Father forever. You have this Jesus who has borne his cross for your sake. Now, to be sure, that is a strange way to introduce a kingdom into the world by means of a cross. When we think of kingdoms coming, we we think of, of powerful armies and political coups and glorious worldly might, but not with Jesus. His kingdom comes through the cross, and it's that cross that the gates of hell are trying to prevent, but they cannot stop Jesus from going to the cross because there he will merit the forgiveness of your sins and earn salvation for the whole world. It is there that the very work of Satan, it is there, it is the very, I should say, it's the very work of Satan that wants this stopped. 
Satan does not want Jesus to save the world. That is why Peter's rebuke is considered satanic, because it tries to get between Jesus and the cross. It tries to prevent Jesus from fulfilling God's plan of salvation. See, it is on the cross where Jesus died to pay the penalty for your sins. It is there where he shed his blood to cover your pride, your love of comfort, your unwillingness to follow, and your idolatry of your rights. It is there that God's Son shed his blood to forgive you and save you. But this comes only through the cross. The cross is the only way so that when you're called to take up your cross, it means that you are suffering for the one who has suffered for you in a much deeper and more profound way. To follow Jesus, then, is to follow him to death. But not only to death. You will recall, I'm sure, that Jesus did not stay dead after he died on the cross. And you should know that after you suffer for his sake in this world and die, you will not stay dead either. Because Jesus' sermon doesn't end at the cross, but brings us to the resurrection. See, part of Peter's problem today is, is not just that he gets in the way of the cross. Peter's problem here is that he doesn't listen to the whole sermon. <laughs> He's so baffled uh, by what he hears Jesus saying about a cross that he misses the end. He misses the whole point. That Jesus is, yes, going to the cross, but he's also going to rise on the third day. The cross is the goal, but it's not the end of the story. The end of the story is the resurrection, the rising from the dead. The forgiveness comes on the cross with the shed blood and then the victory over sin, death, and the devil is proclaimed from the empty tomb. The cross and the empty tomb, death and resurrection, these things go together. They cannot and they will not and they must not be separated. For Jesus who has died has indeed risen and now he rules and reigns and is coming back to take you and me and Peter and all of us to himself that we will be with him forever. Now, to get to that resurrection, there's always the cross you must go through. But the cross always ends with the resurrection. And it's that resurrection that Christ has won for you. It is that resurrection that Christ promises you who will suffer for the sake of Jesus' name. You who suffer as you long for and you pray for and you give Jesus to your loved ones and your lost family members only to be scorned and silenced by them. This resurrection is promised for you who fight for the unlovable, the despised, the rejected, the disenfranchised, the unborn, the poor, and the rejected. It awaits you as you suffer for their sake, put Jesus in their ears only to be belittled and frowned upon. You who have lost relationships with friends and family and a place in society for confessing the name of Christ, this resurrection comes for you. You who despair today, over your weakness and your cowardice, you who have the devil, the devil chirping in your ears that you haven't suffered enough, you haven't borne that cross well enough, you are not doing good enough for Jesus, this resurrection is promised to you. For all who suffer the assaults, the world, the devil, and the flesh for the sake of Christ, for all of us who are constantly losing our lives for his name, take heart. For in losing that life, you have found true life in Jesus Christ. 
perhaps better said, Jesus Christ has found you. And the Son of Man will come, and he will raise you up. And in that, there will be resurrection, blessing upon blessing upon blessing for what you suffer in this world. Yeah, you will taste death, but only temporarily. For the Jesus you have followed to the cross will lead you into eternal life with him forever. And trust me, the gates of hell will not prevail against you who belong to the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would teach us, as we just sang, to walk with Jesus, to live with Jesus, to die with Jesus, and to rise with Jesus. Lord, as we face suffering for your namesake, as we suffer for the sake of the gospel, we pray that you would grant us your Holy Spirit to strengthen and sustain us in our faith into life everlasting. We thank you, Lord, that though we bear a cross, we have a resurrection promise. In Jesus' name we pray.